Welcome to this week's Still Small Voice episode. Today starts a mini series that I am calling Confessions of a Worship Leader. If you aren't a worship leader or if you just aren't called to that kind of ministry, I want to encourage you to not tune out because much of what I'm going to discuss in this series is totally applicable to you. But you see, I am a worship pastor alongside my husband Gabriel at my church here in Lynchburg. And I am also a professor who trains worship leaders and worship pastors for a living. So this is a deeply personal topic for me. And after reading Jeremy Riddle's book, The Reset, which was truly an exceptional book, and I feel totally anointed by the Lord, I felt compelled to speak out personally about my own experience. Who am I? You might think that I am a nobody and... Quite honestly, you're right. I don't have a large ministry. I am merely this behind-the-scenes trainer at the university that I work at. I don't have a national following of my music. I have only been leading worship for about 12 years, even though I have been a musician and in church my entire life. Not to mention, I am nearing 40 years old, which, if we are being honest, is old in the current worship culture. However, one morning as I was praying and speaking to the Lord about this misunderstanding that I have sensed of what praise and worship is supposed to look like, I very ignorantly said, Lord, what can I do? I'm a nobody. And I heard the Lord say to me, every nobody is a somebody to me. I never had any desire to serve the church to be called to ministry at all. I grew up singing special music a lot in the church. I participated in church productions, but after a point, it became something I was doing for my family, not out of obligation in a bad way. They never pressured me or forced me, but I did it out of love for them because I do know that it meant something to them. But it never really meant much to me, and... To be perfectly honest, most of the time I was incredibly uncomfortable and sometimes annoyed. It just didn't feel right to have everyone looking at me in a church service. It felt very performance-like. And on top of that, there were just so many times that I had no business doing that. It was not a pure offering of worship on my end. In fact, it was rarely something that I was doing for the Lord. And much of the time, the way I was living my life outside of the church walls was not reflective in any way of someone who even understood the words in the songs that I was singing. And I'm quite sure that the Lord used me for some people or blessed people through my special music offerings. And by the way, I don't have a problem with special music in and of itself if it's done properly and executed in the context of a service so that it feels worshipful and not a performance. But if we can learn anything from the recent scandals in the church at large, 
the special music that any of us could offer will not have a lasting testimony if how we live behind doors reflects a sinful, lost, and unsurrendered heart. I can see now that much of how I felt about that aspect of my church experience and my own behavior during that time of my life reflects what has over time morphed into where we are today as the American church. Our church culture has become me-centered rather than God-centered. It's settled into every nook and cranny of the church. It's in the songs that we sing. It's in the sermons that we preach. It's in the youth activities. And yes, even in the children's VBSs. It's the motivation behind our service to the church. It's the motivation behind how we give and how we serve in various areas in the church. It's all about us. There are some aspects of this that I recognize have proven somewhat beneficial evangelistically. Some might say that the me-centered songs and culture, the seeker-friendly culture, if you will, is actually pulling in the lost and giving them hope. And I would say that's awesome, but their hope will not last if they can't get past themselves and all of the little things that they want God to do for them. Their hope should be in the something that has already been done, the finished work on the cross, their eternal hope. Their hope is is and should be in a God who already exists, a God who has already won. And if they don't understand that, and if what you are offering to the lost does not point to that, their hope will fade and their foundation will crumble. And the work that you have tried to do will not produce fruit. We are seeing a reality of this. The stories that I hear are not even in the news about people involved in prominent ministries all over the country with popular worship collectives, these people living in hidden sin, having hidden agendas, living unholy lives with unholy motives. No wonder that many of the songs written as of lately and many of the sermons preached rarely mention Jesus or the cross or contemplate the greatness of God with fear and trembling. And this is not Samantha being prophetic. This is a reality. And sadly, even if the world knew some of the information that I know, I'm not sure it would matter. It's still about what's popular. It's still about our musical stylistic preferences. It's still about what everyone else is doing. We have to look like everyone else. It's still about what puts butts in the seats and generates money and looks fancy and cool. It's still about us. And I say all of this knowing the reality that the conversations that are going to come up as part of this podcast series will not be received or liked by many. Most of you will be offended or find me old-fashioned in some areas or even, even oblivious. And perhaps that's the case. And I publicly ask for the Lord to convict me and show me areas that are me and not him before I even open my mouth to you so that I don't go in a direction that's counter to his heart. But if it's the truth, I want to say it because if these conversations help even just one person to purify his or her private and public worship, or hey, if even my own private worship and public worship is purified more through this process, which honestly, I hope it is, it will have been worth it. 
over the last 12 years of leading worship, which is, I understand, not near as long as some of you listening, I have experienced the move of God, some of the most amazing moments of my life during corporate praise and worship. I've experienced real, literal, physical healing of my body in the bodies of others, spiritual healing, repentance and conviction. By the way, this is seemingly a weekly thing for me. I have experienced the audible voice of God. I've heard what I believe are spiritual heavenly sounds. I've felt the tangible presence of God. I felt the pleasure of God. I've felt the disappointment. Yes, the disappointment of God. I felt the anger of God. I felt the pursuit of God from his people in the room. I've even felt the fear of God. I've felt spiritual warfare and every single time I've experienced the reality of how great he is and how low I am, how desperately I need him. Not because I need stuff or literal blessings, but so that I can live a life pleasing to him every day because he is worth that. That needs to be my reflection of love to him. You see, the weight of this conversation, these confessions of mine, is that truly all of these conversations that will be in this series are birthed from confessions of what I've seen, experienced, and failed at. I'm embarrassed now in how little I understood the weight and the importance of corporate worship and praise, how I treated it like a box that I needed to check off on my weekly to-do list. I'm completely embarrassed of how I've let this me-centered culture negatively impact my own personal worship because it has. I remember when I first moved to Lynchburg and started my job, I started working with all of these students who were convinced that they would be famous. And I remember feeling how uncomfortable I would get in situations because I really wanted to find the balance between encouraging them to be open and share their testimonies of what God is doing in their lives and through their music and through their gifts, but also wanting to help them avoid anything that is self-centered, anything that draws attention to themselves that might make them come across as bragging. And it began to bother me so much that I started to honestly highly question my own motives. And it would bother me so much that when I would sit down to worship on my own, the enemy would use that fear that had developed in me to not be prideful, to not draw attention to myself, to not appear prideful and arrogant to others, that it really made me believe that my motives were impure and that I was looking for attention. And it really kept me from freely worshiping the Lord on my own. And the truth is that I do see that self idolization in so much of our Christian culture. 
So I'm still working that out before the Lord with fear and trembling because I want to know that even when I am in private and when I am walking in obedience to the things that I feel the Lord is leading me to do regarding worship and writing music, that I am doing them with pure motives and also just freely worshiping the Lord. So this series will be completely useless and invalid if I don't share with you my stories so that you understand where I'm coming from. And you know what? I'm even embarrassed of the times that it came out of my mouth that I would never lead worship or be in ministry because that definitely happened. (laughs) And I even remember times where my husband said he didn't really feel called to be in ministry or even want to be in ministry or lead worship. However, it was very obviously not the Lord's plan for us to just go through life with normal nine to five jobs, to be members of the PTO and coach all of the sports teams. There's nothing wrong with these things, by the way. It's just laughable for me to think back of all of the dreams and of the life that I thought that I was going to have and the reality of what my life is now. I have no regrets, but I do know that if I had asked the Lord more about what his plans and his dreams were for me, that I would have had a little bit of a heads up. (laughs) But Gabriel and I do have a supernatural story of God speaking to us and calling us into ministry on the same day at the same time when we were in two different places. And I do think it's important to share this because A calling into ministry is not just a, this sounds like a good idea type of thing. God appoints those he calls. And it's confirmed. At this time, our oldest son was not even a year old. It was 2011. And we had been serving in other churches in worship ministries. Gabriel had been serving in larger capacities than than me, but they were both large and small churches. We had not, though, received a call from the Lord and we had a formal calling from the Lord and we had certainly not received a formal calling to be in ministry together or one that would even involve us being in leadership. I was singing that morning at an Episcopal service in the town that we were living and Gabriel was just attending another church um, with our son clear across town. On the way home from both of these events, we both heard from the Lord. We came home, I made lunch, which I'm pretty sure I remember was spaghetti, not that that matters. But, you know, sometimes those little details just give you confirmation that you're remembering things right from the Lord. And so, I don't know, I just hold on to all those even little small details. We sat down and... Gabriel very casually opened up the conversation by saying that he felt like he heard from the Lord that we were supposed to be in ministry and that we were supposed to be in ministry together. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I heard that too. And we spent the afternoon just discussing what we heard. And in that moment, we realized that we had experienced something supernatural and it was absolutely a turning point for us because listen to me, people, you can't hear God's voice and be the same person afterward. 
hearing God speak to you changes you. It affects you. And it doesn't matter how often you hear it. It's not just a casual conversation with your buddy. Hearing God's voice is impactful every single time. But in that moment for us, it was completely life-changing and our whole perspective on life changed. That was the beginning of our deaths. Everything that we knew, everything that we thought we wanted in life took a back seat to serving the Lord. So when I say that it was the beginning of our deaths, I mean that. Everything about us that was unholy, that was unrighteous, that was not of the Lord has slowly but surely been killed by the Holy Spirit and replaced with Christ-like fruit. And it's absolutely been a hard process. It's a very trying process to be purified by, by the Lord. It's not a small thing, but that's the reality of what ministry brings. And I don't think a lot of people truly understand that because if they did, they would probably think twice about getting into ministry. I certainly did not expect this. What we see in our Christian culture are worship music videos of people dancing around and having a good time. What we see are clips of sermons with pastors and cool lights and trendy clothes that make ministry look so glamorous, so exciting, saying things that make us feel good, like we can have the same glamorous life that they have. And listen, I want you to know that my family, the Miller family, is blessed. The Lord has blessed us and taken care of us way more than we deserve. We have amazing jobs that the Lord supernaturally provided for us. We have an amazing home that, again, the Lord supernaturally provided for us. We serve at an incredible church that the Lord supernaturally led us to. We have two incredible children who I see the Lord moving in daily. We have way more than we need and we don't deserve any of it and while I know that the Lord has blessed us in part due to our obedience and our faithfulness in the desert and in the wilderness I also know that he doesn't have to I know that it's more about him showing himself glorified in our lives than it is about us at all but even with all of that blessing the reality is that the pursuit of God and the pursuit of holiness is not always a dance party. Sometimes it is, but many times it's not. The reality is that saying yes to the call of ministry with all of your heart invites a pruning process that is challenging, that's hard, that's sometimes lonely because it carries a mantle of responsibility to shepherd the people in pure worship and praise, to shepherd the people's hearts to think rightly of God and to see things from a heavenly perspective. What exactly does this mean? It means that while it is true that the Lord does conquer our fear and he does help us through the Holy Spirit to conquer our fear, we should probably stop giving the word fear so much acknowledgement in the songs that we sing and instead sing more songs about our risen, already victorious Savior. It means we should be hearing less about what God can do for us and singing less about 
what God can do for us and instead sing more and hear more about what we can and should be doing for God to show our love and affection for what he already did for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. It means we should be hearing less about how God isn't mad at us and more about how God has called us to a standard of holiness and singing more songs and hearing more messages about how it is possible for us to pursue holiness through a surrendered heart, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It means that we should be feeling convicted to live our lives the same outside of the church walls as we do publicly through maybe our Instagram or our Facebook walls and how we look and speak and interact and lead worship inside the church walls should be the same outside. This includes how we treat our bodies and yes, worship leaders, how we treat our vocal cords because they're actually part of the physical temple that the Lord has given us here on this earth. It means that we need to remember that praise and worship is reverent and Holy Spirit driven and definitely should not be a man-steered performance, beating dead horse kind of thing to just get a rise out of a congregation. It means that the songs that we pick, the sermons that we prepare, the songs that we write should reflect the word of God accurately and truly rather than a somewhat twisted and inaccurate perspective that just makes people feel good all of the time or a perspective that avoids offense at all cost. The gospel of Jesus Christ is and should be offensive to those who are living lives counter to the word of God. It's offensive to people who are choosing to live in darkness. Otherwise, they wouldn't truly be able to know what it means and looks like to be a child of light. Prosperity gospel and hyper grace theology leads people into a false light that's not transforming, but instead conforming. So this is just a brief intro into some of the conversations that you can expect in this series. The goal is also for me to talk some of this out with people because I know that I personally need to grow and need to make sure that my perspective is adjusted to that of the Lord's. And I really don't want to mess this up. There is truly a line that can be crossed into operating in a religious spirit or possibly operating in a dangerous, hyper-spiritual, unbalanced spirit that is quite honestly blurring the scripture and twisting scripture. And neither of those are pleasing to the Lord. So I know that there have been many times that I've gone before the Lord and asked why I'm doing this. Why am I in ministry? Why am I leading worship? Why is this so hard? Why do people have to be so mean? Why do people have to have such poor discernment? Why am I so stupid? 
why are we as a church so attracted to all of these things that don't really appear to matter to your heart, Lord, and, and why, and if they do, or do they matter to the Lord's heart? I mean, am I just being closed-minded? I've asked the Lord what we're doing wrong. How can we fix it to provide the means and the grace for us to fix it? There have been times that I've said, literally, Lord, help me to just get through the service with a pure heart for you. You take the wheel I've got nothing. You've got everything. Lord, help me to speak and sing only your words today. And so many times I have just recognized how totally and literally incapable I am of doing this ministry, worship leading, ever without the Lord's guidance every day. Every second, everything that I do, I need the Lord. So this is just an inside view of all of the things that go through my mind as I talk to the Lord on a daily basis, before I lead services, before I prepare even this podcast, because I've come to realize over the years that I am completely useless without the Lord's guidance. My ideas are bad. His ideas are good. And I want to reflect his ideas and his heart and his desire for the church. And really, that has ultimately been what the process of learning how to be in ministry and how to be a successful worship leader has looked like. And the standards of successful ministry, by the way, are not set by the world and they're certainly not set by the culture that we look at on social media right now, but instead the measure of success in ministry is set by the word of God and is evidenced by this process of the transforming of our minds and our lives. So my yes, and I mean the yes that I have had to dig down deep to find, means that through the process, I have given up every dream, every good idea, every personal opinion, and every preference to the Lord to reshape, to redefine, to remodel, and to restore, and to redeem. So if you've started into worship ministry and you've not done that and you've not experienced that, if you've tried to make your own way, if you've been striving for something with your own ideas and plans without sitting before the Lord, with your hands open, saying, take them, Lord, and make them yours, I would plead with you to start. The ways of man will fail, but the ways of God will succeed. Maybe this sounds hyper-religious to you. Maybe it's a super works-based notion to you. After all, I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in us, so we have ideas, and those ideas very well could be of the Lord, sure, but I will refer you back to the podcast that I did earlier on the transformation of kingdom lifestyle. There are obvious obvious habits that we have in our Christian life that will produce fruit, that we are walking in line with the Holy Spirit. And if you're a worship leader and you're not reading the word every day or spending time talking to the Lord every day, I think you should take a minute to pause in the presence of the Lord and evaluate your priorities. Have you heard from the Lord of your calling into worship ministry? Maybe you don't know now 
Well, pray about it. The Lord answers those who call upon him. But when you know, give him your yes. Sit in his presence and allow his spirit and his word to minister to you until you find yourself humbled like Isaiah, only able to utter the words that you've dug down deep in your soul to find. Here am I. Send me. So this is just a sneak peek of what the conversation will look like during this series. I, of course, will be joined by some people to have these conversations, have these confessions, if you will, of just what we go through as worship leaders and what it's like and how we can better steward the job that we have been given, the ministry that we have been entrusted with by the Lord. So I hope you will tune back in with me next Monday to continue this series, Confessions of a Worship Leader, on the Still Small Voice podcast. Thanks so much. I hope you have a great week. Now hear my still small